following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's right next to Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, Feel free to turn there, and uh, you can go ahead and take that one with you if you want to as uh, well. That is uh, a free gift from uh, you, uh, from us to you. Um, So Exodus uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 23 all the way uh, to 25. Um, When we were thinking about preaching Exodus, just full transparency, we normally go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through uh, the Bible. And I thought, man, how am I going to go verse by verse through the book of Exodus? And um, so we're going to be here for at least two and a half to three hours. So you just want to settle in this morning. It's going to be great, I promise. Um, And I'm totally kidding. You know, if this is your first week and you're thinking to yourself, is he being serious? Um, No, I'm not. Um, We're we're not going to go that long. But we're not going to hit on all of this. So a way for you to track is just to kind of pick up um, some of the things that, that we passed over, <laughs> Exodus Passover, and it, that's, that's, that's a good one on my part that I didn't even think about. I'm not that clever. Um, but you can go ahead and, and, and look at some of this stuff in more detail uh, when you are um, away from, from here on Sunday morning. So Exodus chapter uh, 2 is where we're going to start, and we'll pick some of this up too as well. Um, but Exodus is a fantastic book. When I was studying Exodus chapter 2, Anne Lamont uh, had a quote that I thought was really interesting as we start 2022. And she says, help is uh, a prayer um, that is always answered. And I I have some questions for Anne, but this is an interesting quote. She says, it doesn't matter how you pray it, your head bowed in silence, or you're crying out in grief, or you're dancing, churches are good for prayer. Jesus even says that my house should be called a house of prayer. And he says, but so are garages and cars and mountains and showers and dance floors, right? And what was interesting there is, and just the thought process here was, have you ever cried out to God? I mean, it's 2022, and I'm sure we did last year. And what did that look like when you cried out to the Lord? Maybe you lost some money on on bills. Uh, Maybe you suffered illness. Maybe... It was because of there's some people in your life who are walking in sin. Maybe there's just some people that, that are struggling with, with things uh, in their everyday life. Maybe you cried out to God because you lost a loved one, somebody that you cared about immensely. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I've never cried out to God. I, I can't even think of the last time that I cried out to the Lord. And some people are like that. Some people are in that boat because they don't know how. Am I allowed to talk to God? I deal with this all the time in the pastoral world is people say, I want to talk to God, but I don't know how to talk to God. 
I, don't, I just don't know how I'm supposed to articulate what's going on inside of me. Sometimes the things that are happening in my life are so big that I don't even know how to put words to what I'm feeling. You ever been that way? Maybe it's just me. Well, this morning in Exodus, you find three verses, these really three small verses, and they talk about how God responds to the cries of his people, specifically his people who are in crisis. And it's written, debatable, on, on when you think Exodus was written, but uh, give or take about 3,500 years ago. And all of these verses, all of these passages of Scripture are going to speak to us as believers just as much as they spoke to the people back then. And in our suffering, and even in our oppression, and the things that you're going through, you need to know, first and foremost, even if you can't articulate what is transpiring internally, God hears your cries. God knows what's going on. He understands what's going on. He hears what is happening in the hearts of his people. And whatever our cries are or need to be, these passages are big. Well, how do we get to Exodus chapter 2? Great question. Let's first of all talk about Exodus, okay? It is believed or widely accepted that Moses authored the book of Exodus. The name Exodus comes from the Septuagint, which is essentially just the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the reason why it comes from there is because in the Septuagint, it says, this is the Exodus, the main event. The Israelites delivered from slavery out of Egypt. It is the primary incident of the book. So Exodus, the book... uh, as a whole, covers about 80 years before Moses was born in about 1526 B.C., and it goes all the way up to an event that transpires at Mount Sinai in 1446 B.C. In Exodus, God is starting to fulfill the promises that he made in the book of Genesis. He made specific promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And in the Old Testament, you could say Old Covenant or Old Promise. This is the start of the Old Promise of God coming to fruition that will lead us to the New Testament, which is the new promise of God found in Christ. The people of God in Exodus find themselves in an interesting predicament. They are enslaved in a foreign land, and God is going to deliver them, but he's going to do it in his time and in his ways. He's going to establish these people as a nation under this covenant. All of the stories that we have when we were kids are here in this book, right? You have the Ten Commandments. You have the Ten Plagues. You have Passover. You have parting the Red Sea. You have God in his presence at Mount Sinai. You have the building of the tabernacle. I think that Exodus is one of the most pivotal books in the Bible because it gives context to every other Bible story sacrifices of the body of Christ once and for all. We don't sacrifice continually. We don't have to sacrifice continually because Christ was sacrificed for us. The middle of the Bible is the cross. It is the hinge between the old promise and the new promise. And so when we look at this, we realize that New Testament authors point back to Exodus. Even Jesus points back to Exodus. His words testify to the importance. There's lessons to be learned for the believers in Christ here. But how do we get to chapter 2? Okay, so Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, we learn of these people called the Israelites. An Israelite is a physical descendant of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. If you remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Hang on. (laughs) Okay? In Genesis chapter 32, he says, No longer will you be called Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. From then on, all of your sons or descendants are going to be called the sons of Israel or 
Israelites, okay? It's not that hard. Israelite is often used like the term Hebrew, or you may know it as Jew. Now, there's some discrepancies between the two, okay? So before you come up here and crucify me and be like, they're not the same. They're kind of the same, okay? Uh, For the most part, they are interchangeable. Why are they important, though? God promised to bless the Israelites as they kept the law that was given to Moses. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 4 through 5, he says, They, the Israelites, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises of God. They were the one that God looked at and God loved. And we ask all the time, does God play favorites? And the answer to the question is, yes, he does. He loves the Jews. For whatever reason, he loves those people. But because of the Jews' rejection, the Gentiles, us, are allowed to be adopted into the family of God. Thank God for the rejection of the Israelites because that gives me access to the throne of God through faith in Christ. Paul continues, he says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, God promised that all mankind would be blessed through Abraham's lineage in Genesis chapter 12. Jesus is a fulfillment of that universal blessing. It all comes back to Christ. All right, back to Exodus chapter 1. Israelites had been in Egypt for generations, and they start getting greater and greater and greater because they love the commandment from God to go be fruitful and multiply. All right, so um, I thought that would land a whole lot better than it did. Anyway, um, so they get, they get more and more and more and more greater. And the Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, sees this happening, and he fears one day they're going to turn against the Egyptians. So gradually, what Pharaoh does is he forces these Israelites to become their slaves, and he makes them build these treasured cities with bricks and straw and clay. So in Genesis chapter 1 and into the first part of chapter 2, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was worried so much about the Israelites overthrowing Egypt, he orders all the firstborn males of the Israelites to be killed. Look at Exodus chapter 1 verse 22. It says, Pharaoh commanded all of his people, not the people of God, his people, every son born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but let every daughter live. You think you live in a tough generation. Can you imagine the president of the United States of America issuing that decree? That's what's transpiring. And God's people are confused. First of all, we're in slavery. Second of all, why is this happening? That is just leveling. Okay, so in 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 Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born underneath Pharaoh's order, and he is saved miraculously. He grows up under Pharaoh's daughter. One of God's people grows up in secular society, and he knows full well the whole time that he is a Hebrew. At the age of 40, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses sees his people oppressed. He encounters an alteration that is happening. An Egyptian is beating a Hebrew, and Moses decides that he's going to take justice into his own hands, and he kills that Egyptian. He doesn't think anybody saw it, but everything's on video nowadays. And when he's found out by two Hebrews, he runs. Pharaoh hears of Moses, the fact that he killed this Egyptian. He causes Moses to flee to a foreign city called Midian, and he meets the daughter of a priest. He assists this woman in extracting water from a well. (laughs) He's, He's a good guy. 
And the priest learns of this, and like all good fathers, he said, you uh, can have my daughter's hand in marriage, <laughs> which seems kind of fast. But he marries this woman. Her name is Zipporah, and they get married and have a son. His name is Gershom, and this is where we pick up our story in Exodus chapter 2. Moses is in a foreign city, people of God suffering. Verse 23. <clears throat> During those many days, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, died. Now, you would think that's a good thing, but where one Pharaoh dies, another Pharaoh picks up. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery comes up to God. God hears their groanings, and God remembers his promise, covenant, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I love verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He was aware. Okay, so what do we do here? Well, let's do a little bit of background, and then we'll get into how this applies, okay? First thing is, God's people have been groaning and crying for years. Not just in today's society. This is nothing new. God's people groan and cry. If you want to underline um, the dead king, it's probably Thutmose III, which is the pharaoh of oppression in 1500 for those of us who are nerds, who follows by another king, which means Moses spending 40 years in Midian makes Moses 80 years old. So he's, he's a young guy, right? All my older congregations say amen. All right, whatever. Um, <laughs> so Moses being 80 realized the Israelites are continuing to suffer as slaves, and we see two important things transpiring here in the text that are, are needed for us to understand. First thing, Israel is groaning, groaning. Underline that word groan. Groan is an internal moan. It's nonverbal. That word there in the text is nonverbal groanings. It's the internal groan. Moaning indicates a universal response to grave oppression or despair when Israel was in Egypt. More generally, it is also a response of people when they're ruled by a wicked government. Whether or not you say it, you groan when there is oppression as a child of God. To groan is a response of people whom God judges. It could be like Lebanon or a desolate cities like Jerusalem. Even animals we know moan because of destruction. Joel chapter 118 says that. Ezekiel says, the righteous groan because of an injustice or a corruption, and God's righteous prophets groan over the rebellion of God's people. So if this groaning is internal, we realize that going from Exodus to today's society, we all groan as it is nonverbal discontentment over wickedness. And if you are not groaning over the wickedness that is transpiring, shame on you. Because we should be at a point where we are saying, that's not right. Those things are not of God. There are things that are transpiring in our country and our culture. We have to look at it and we have to say, that is not of God. And there's sometimes where our voices just feel so silent and internally, we feel like we're coming unglued because we're like, are you serious right now? This is really transpiring. That's groaning. When you want to say something so bad, but you know that, man, I, I just don't even know if I could formulate that or put that into words. Now, sometimes it does go into words, though, because Israel's groans turn into cries. If groaning is internal, the cry for help is the, 
is the external. It's the verbalizing what is transpiring internally. Now, you may think you know what this means, but, but it's really an interesting word because if you want to circle that word cry, in the secular Greek, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, cry is often a loud shout, a battle cry, a roar of the sea, a sound of a musical instrument, a cry of a bird or a beast, but that doesn't give us the true definition. You know what it does? Jesus' cry on the cross is the same word that is here in the text. It is the exact same word in the text, translated from Greek over to Hebrew. With a loud voice, it should say, he cried. He cried out. The internal groanings are too much, and so here comes this external push. And the external push is not towards people, it is towards God. Notice that. It's not, it's not, have you seen? It's not gossip. It's not all that stuff. It's, God, why have you forsaken me? The Israelite people are saying the same thing here that Jesus is saying on the cross. We feel forsaken. Where did you go? You ever been there? I feel like you're not present in my life. I feel like you've gone somewhere else. God, what happened? In the Bible, we learn here, this text, don't miss this. It is okay to cry out to the Lord. If the Israelites did it, if Jesus did it, you can do it too. It is okay to cry out to the Lord. Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. In my distress, the psalmist says, I cried out to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before his ears. He heard what I said. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? Some of us are like, oh, that's great. I can start crying out to the Lord. We all cry and groan, but do we cry and groan for the right reasons? See, because sometimes when I cry and groan, God looks back at me and he's like, stop being selfish. <laughs> do we cry out for the right reasons? And the other thing is, do we cry out to the right person? Because oftentimes our cries and our groans are going uh, horizontal when they need to go vertical. And so when Exodus says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, it means that God in his greatness heard the unverbalized groans and the audible cries of his people. It reached up to heaven. And what is true for the Israelites is true for the psalmist, was true for the disciples, is also true for you. You can cry out to the Lord. Isn't that a great promise from God? I could cry out to the Lord. He hears my cries. So whatever it is you're going through, the start of Exodus tells us you cry to the Lord. Now, the question is, does God respond, right? That's what I want to know. And how does he respond? And what does he say? Well, God always responds to the oppressed. Okay, now all of these, all right, in verse 24 all the way to 25 are what we call anthropomorphisms. What in the world is that? All right, an anthropomorphism is a figure of speech in which certain traits of a finite human are ascribed to an infinite God. These figures of speech are found all over the Bible. God has ears, and he remembers, and he has eyes, and he knows, and all those other things, okay? Does God have ears? No. Does God have eyes? No. In Jesus, yes, but here we're talking about God the Father. This helps us know God's work from a human perspective. So let's look at the first one, verse 24. God hears. How does God respond to our oppression? First of all, he hears. Walt Kaiser says that misery finally found a voice. 
While the Israelites wondered whether or not God was hearing, he did hear their groanings. And the interesting thing here is, I don't think they were pointed up to him. He just heard what was transpiring and going on. The cries, God's like, okay, that, that's getting loud. Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. So God is going to respond to every cry. Now, pause, church, for just a second. Whether or not you get your answer, okay, is up to God. He gets to work in his ways, the way that he wants to work. You can groan and cry all you want, but sometimes baby doesn't need fed again, right? And you're just going to have to cry that one out. Sometimes you don't get to get up. You need to sleep, my friend, right? You need to stay there. Hard mamas, I get it let your kids cry it out. But man, that was one uh, tip that we got and we took it sometimes and sometimes we didn't. And when we didn't, whew, good grief. All right. <clears throat> so whether or not in your groans and cries you're getting your answer is different than God's answer. We know, Romans eight twenty eight. God works for the good of those who love him and for his glory. So we can trust that he's going to respond to the cries for help, but it's always going to be in accordance with his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we look at God and we say, God, why are you slow to do this? He might not be slow. He might be raising up a leader to help you like Moses. He might be raising up another Aaron to help you. He might be doing something behind the scenes. He heard it. And it's okay to speak it over and over again. You can do that. But God's going to look at you and he's going to say, in my time, my son, in my time, my daughter, will we answer that cry. Even when the psalmist was, searchingly, was searching for a seamlessly absent God, he chooses to live by faith. Look, Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6. I trust, that's faith, in the unfailing love of God, my heart rejoices in your salvation. Just the fact that I know I'm a child of God is enough and I'm going to sing the Lord's praises regardless of whether or not I'm getting my answer. For he has been good to me. And he's been good to you and he's been good to me. We have to realize that. God has been good. Now here's the question because everything comes back to Christ. Do you know him for him to hear your cries? Because God sometimes looks at us and he goes, I can't hear your voice because you haven't confessed your sin and believed in my son Jesus Christ. See, we have the rest of the story here. And so we have to remember, God hears his children. The question is, are you his child? All right, now, second thing, God remembers. Now, whether or not you had a good dad or a bad dad, this, this, this kind of like resonates with us different, right? You're like, uh-oh, here we go. When I say God remembers, he remembers his promises. He hears his people's cries and he points them where? To his past covenant. The covenant he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a covenantal God. He points people back to his promises. And here's the thing. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, the question is, do we know the promises in the text because we've studied the text? It's important to be on the right side of God remembering because if you're hearing that and when you see God remembers, you're wondering, does he remember my sin? And if you're not a child of God, he punishes that sin and he'll punish him permanently forever. But as a child of God, God forgives sin and he blesses them. And in passages which God remembers are always followed by proofs that he never forgets. And either that will give you great terror as a non-believer or it'll give you great comfort as a believer. You'll be comforted in that truth that God remembers his promise 
and that he forgives sin and that he is faithful to fulfill his promise. So how does God respond to our oppression? First of all, he hears you. Second of all, he remembers his promise to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He remembers those things. He remembers those promises. You need to know those promises that are outlined in the text. And you need to know also that God sees you. God saw the people of Israel, but that shouldn't be understood literally. If you want to, circle that word saw. It's really interesting. Sometimes that word saw conveys an added meaning, which means he looked on the people with understanding and sympathy. It's like the kid who is lost at the roller coaster park that is not yours. And you have compassion on that child because he doesn't have parents. And we need to find them. God looks at it and he says, I have compassion on you. You are like sheep without a shepherd. You need somebody in your life. So a better translation of that is that he looked up with compassion on Israel. In your distress, isn't it good to know that God looks at us with compassion? In your distress, do we know that God sees the oppression and he sees the suffering and in his compassion, God considers it. He sees it and he is concerned about it and he decides to intervene. God will intervene in your trial and tribulation. He'll, he'll, he'll intervene in oppression. The question is, are you going to let him do it in his way? See, God sees everything, everything. He has compassion on us. And the case in point is Jesus. We see Jesus look to the Father, and the Father has compassion on him, and he works through him. So how does God respond? He hears, he remembers his promises, he sees the, the things, and he knows. It's all going to come together here in a second. He knows the promise of the Israelites. He's concerned about them. He knows their pain. He knows their sorrow. He knows their loss. And here's the craziest part. He cares. He doesn't have to, but he does. When God knows, we realize that he cares. Knowing they can do nothing to help themselves. Knowing full well that unless he acts, man is lost. And here's the question. Do we wake up every single day with that on our mind? That God, if you don't intervene in my life, if you don't, if you don't come and, and, and meet me here in this crisis, in this problem, if you don't, if you don't act here, then, then I lose. All the future failures of the Israelites, nevertheless, he chose them to be his people and the same is true with us in Christ. God declares the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10. He knows our hearts. He knows our future. He knows our acts. He knows our decisions. All of those things, including our sin, yet he calls us by name to himself, but it can only happen through faith in Christ. So all of those things, I, I have to ask, am I disheartened still in the crisis that I am experiencing? Those things right there just bring me great joy. Those things right there in, in trials and in tribulations and in problems and in weakness, I realize that it takes faith to give these things back over to the Lord, and he will transform me into his likeness. So whatever crisis you're facing, whatever problem that you're experiencing, whatever uh, you're dealing with, 
Those four things, you speak back into that problem. God, you heard what just transpired. God, your promise said you never leave me or forsake me. You know what's going on here. You understand you're going to work all things together for the good of those who love me. You see this problem and you know it, and I'm going to have faith and believe that you're going to work through it. And not only are you going to work through this problem, you're going to work through me too as well. God, in his sovereign power, is ready to act in accordance with his promises, and deliver and preserve his people. Uh, Thomas Pinckney, old pastor, <clears throat> says this. And I want you to think about this as we, as we start this study of Exodus and we move into this. What are your sorrows and your pains and your cries out to God? Think about that. What are your sorrows and your pains, and your cries out to God. Whatever it is, you need to know this. As God's beloved child, are you God's beloved child? Our God hears. Every word we cry out, even our unspoken thoughts, God hears and he remembers. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And he is faithful to all of those promises, including the promise to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Our God sees what's behind us. He sees what's ahead of us. He sees the threats and dangers, and he knows. He knows you, your sins. He knows your failures. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your enemies. He knows your trials, and he knows your path. But most of all, God knows the plans that he has for you. And he knows the path by which you need to take in order to fulfill those plans. And he will lead you and he will guide you and he will work all those trials and tribulations together for your good and for his glory. The question is, will you let him? So we persevere and we hold on and we trust in the God who knows. That is our prayer for 2022 as we move in here. That this passage of scripture just moves us so delicately into 2022. And we pray these things to the Lord today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you. First Sunday of the year, we're just starting, just cracking into this book. I just want to keep going. There's so many good things that are here. And, and we feel like we're leaving on a cliffhanger. But, but, but really, uh, this is enough for the start. And so, as we look to the old truths in Exodus, we're reminded of how much you love us and you care for us. And if there is a person here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that they would come to know you through faith in Christ. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. The Bible tells us if you confess your sins, if you repent of those sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It all comes back to Jesus. He is the great promise fulfilled in the New Testament. As we uh, come here and, and as we're reminded of that truth, if, if you're here today and, and, and you don't know those things, take some time before we take communion and read through the gospel, the little white books in front of you. Trust Christ. So many of us, God, know you as Lord and Savior. We've confessed our sins, we've repented of those things, we've trusted upon the name of the Lord, and we still find ourselves crying out. 
Some of us uh, are groaning internally, and we can't articulate those groans. Some of us, we have closed the door to our rooms and our homes, and we have cried out to you. And God, would you, in the stillness of this place, remind us that you, you respond to all things in your time. You respond to the oppression of your people. You speak back. You see us. You hear us. You remember us. You know us. And you've given us the truths of your word. Help us to dive into that this year. Help us to continue to study and to seek and to be faithful and to trust that you know the plans that you have for us. Our job is just to be obedient and faithful and true. So help us do those things as we continue to serve you with all that we think, say, and do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.